Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name's Nick Ingvall. I went with my guys Mike and Robbie, and we got a special guest tonight to talk some kicks. Got my friend Jacques Slade on with us. How's it going, man? Ah, it's going well, man. I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Of course, man. It's a, it's a, a long time coming. We've been uh, we, we've thrown your name around quite a few times, and obviously, you and I go way back. So, I felt like, hey, we're all stuck at home. We may as well make this happen. <laughs> might might as well. Why not? Just to jump right into it, you know, we really want to talk to you about your journey in this whole sneaker thing because clearly, like, you've had some some crazy amount of success. Um, and I know personally that that it was a lot of hard work that, that went into it. Right. But I want to talk about that kind of stuff and, and kind of get into your story, because I think a lot of people are just, you know, looking looking for ways to to keep busy at home right now. And, right. yeah, um, you know, YouTube when is a, is a great outlet for people. So how did you first kind of get started in the sneaker thing? Uh, well, I started my my way into the sneaker world was through Jazare. Uh I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. She used to work at Kicks on Fire. Now she works at Crush Lovely. She's like a, uh she works at an agency. And uh her 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 husband and I were actually in a rap group together when we were younger. And um so I knew her through that. And um when I was in between jobs, she she was already working at Kicks on Fire and was like, "Hey, do you want to write about sneakers in your in-between time until you find a new job? And so obviously I was like, yeah, sure. I, why, why wouldn't I want to write about sneakers? That's cool. And um, that's, that's really how it started. So I started writing for kicks on fire in December of 2009. Should we go into the rap group? I mean, I think you've probably piqued people's <laughs> interest here with. I hear that. Uh, I think I so, found him on iTunes one day. He, I saw some, one of his videos. I'm like, I got to look it up. I did it. Uh, <laughs> it's and it's terrible. I get it. Um, so yeah, so I rapped. I, I, I was nah, my, man, actually, I, it wasn't that bad, dude. <laughs> no, it's fine. I I, I, I know. Uh, so I uh, I always wanted to be in entertainment. 
uh, even from when I was a kid, uh, performing was something that I just always did from singing songs in the backseat of the car while riding with my mom to being like the kid in the living room performing in front of my mom and her friends. Like I always wanted to, to be in, in entertainment in some way. And um, my cousins and I, we rapped. So this was early on, probably like right out of right out of right into high school, right out of junior high. Me and my cousins had a rap group. And we all rapped. And then I got to college and um, obviously me and my cousins weren't hanging out every weekend at my aunt's house anymore. And so I got into college and I got into a rap group called uh, Nuff Said uh, with my boy J7, who is Jazz's ex-husband. And um, yeah, we we worked. We got a publishing deal, got a record deal. We put ourselves in a terrible position. Um, then eventually I started uh, joined a crew called One to One, and uh, I did the whole hip hop scene thing where we would have freestyle sessions every Sunday at the house. Uh, my boy Ant was a producer. He would play beats. We would rap. Everybody had four bars, and you would just go in a circle and just go on and on and on. Uh, wrote songs, and uh, eventually uh, J7 did an album on his own. I did an album on my own. Uh, the album went like triple wood. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then after that, we um, we got picked up. We got I got picked up for some television and film stuff. And that's when like I started making money from music because uh, I was play- placing songs in television and film. Um, and that kind of kept kept me going with doing that. I was doing some acting. I was in some commercials. I was on some TV shows. Um, and that stuff kind of kept me going until I started working at a school in Hawthorne where I was a electronic music teacher, just basically teaching kids how to, how to work equipment really and how to formulate a song. Um, and from there, that school closed. It was a charter school that school closed. And then that's when I ended up in sneakers. I have two questions about that. Um, one, I think, I think you had some, some famous students that you might want to touch on. And two, <laughs> what, could you tell tell us about the uh, you know bad situation in regards to that first kind of entry into contract and creating content, creating music for for people? Like how how did that how did you work that out? So uh, Joe and I uh, were very anxious because we got a record deal uh, and got a publishing deal, and uh, we were we went to a lawyer, and the lawyer told us the contract wasn't that good. Um, and that was really terrible. We uh, were scared that if we went back to them, that it would end up, we would end up losing the record deal. Mind you, like we're two kids from the hood um, that never had anything. So when um, we just, we just signed the original contract that they sent us, which was terrible. Um, and we were basically locked into a contract with them for five years um, for like pennies and uh, we had to, we basically had to end up waiting out until the contract was over or they, and they dropped us in order for us to start making music again that we could release commercially. Um, and then student wise, um, I had a ton of amazing students and one of them just happened to just so happened to be uh, Tyler, the creator. Seriously? Dang. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy uh, a crazy full circle moment for you. I'm sure seeing him release sneakers, you know, however long that is after ten years later, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 insane. I'm like super proud of him. He's stayed true to who he is, 100. percent And like you, you can't ask for anything more than that. 
Yeah, most definitely. So I remember, um, you know, when we first connected, I think you had, you, you had just kind of started in, in writing about sneakers. Um, and at the same time, I remember you had like, like a feature on like either a video or something with GM with general motors for like OnStar, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was a commercial. I was in a commercial for, uh, for GM, uh, for OnStar. Um, yeah, it's very fine. Actually, I, I saw, I saw that picture either today or yesterday I came across, um, the picture cause they did like these, these internet ads and it was all over their website. And, uh, yeah, it, that's really funny. Yeah. So when you started doing the sneaker writing, um, I know at some point, I assume pretty early on, you basically were like, the writing thing is, is not my priority. I'm going to try to do this video thing. How did you, how did that work out? And like, you know, how did you start that? Yeah. So for, for me, uh, because I had done like the commercial stuff and had done the stuff on TV, um, at the time, again, this was 2010, there wasn't really uh, a huge, um, focus on, um, what I considered back then to be like TV quality content when it came to sneakers. Like obviously it's all over the place now. Uh, but back then I, I wanted to create something that I felt was good enough to be on television. Um, so uh, I, I watched what like Fran was doing. I watched what like sneak geeks was doing. I watched what um, I think Fomer was creating back then. I'm not sure if Fomer was creating back then, but um I know Fran and Sneak Geeks for sure were were creating, and um, I think Rich Lopez was also doing stuff already. He uh, with um, from Kicks in the City, so they were doing stuff, and I wanted to. My idea was like, how can I do this and take it up a notch? Um, so I wanted to recreate a sneaker show that if someone was like, Hey, we love what you're doing. We want to put it on TV. This is obviously because I wanted to be on TV from back then. Um, that they saw the content that I was creating and be like, yeah, this is great. And so I worked, um, I, I taught myself how to edit, taught myself how to film, um, how to use a green screen, how to light all of that stuff. And I shot some pilot episodes for kicks on fire. This was funny enough. Actually today is the, is literally the 10th anniversary um, of the day that I uploaded my very first sneaker video to YouTube uh, on Kicks on Fire. And um, it's terrible. And no one would ever put that on television, but you couldn't tell me that back then. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty wild that, you know, how far you've come in 10 years. And obviously we're just, just starting to get into this, but man. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just like stuck on that thinking 10 years. Damn. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So how quickly time flies. Who, who knew 10, I, I had no idea 10 years ago that I would be doing what I'm doing now. And I, I didn't even know that I would still be in sneakers. Like I, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was literally just doing something just because I wanted to create something new and I had no idea where it would go. Uh, obviously, there were big YouTubers at the time, but it was sneakers. No one really cared as much about sneakers, especially um, the audio. The world wasn't on YouTube like that at that time. Like this was this was before Complex was doing sneaker shopping. This was before Hot Ones. This was before I mean, really before uh, 
sne- sneaker the sneaker thing that George did. God, I can't even think of a sneak peek that that George was doing at Nice Kicks. This was before all of that, and it was just literally just me in my garage creating and just trying to create something new and um, feeling underappreciated because <laughs> Kicks on Fire definitely did not appreciate it at the time, and really not honestly thought it was a waste a waste of time. Um, if if, uh, if we're going to keep it honest. Now, how did you, uh, I mean, with, with the being back then and there's no, there wasn't as much social media at that time to, to push content. Like, you know, we put a video out on YouTube now. You can go through Twitter, Instagram, anything you can think of and push like, hey, you know, just release this video or you can put clips of a video. How did you manage to to push that content at a time where it was, like you said, it wasn't really many people doing it at, at that point? Um, I don't, I think we, I think kicks on fire was on Twitter at the time. Cause I think Twitter came out in 2007, I believe. And I think in 2009, we were already, well, 2010, really technically we were already on Twitter. So we were, we would, I mean, we were just pushing it out like regular content. The focus back then wasn't social media. It was just the website. So back then kicks on fire, nice kicks, sneaker news, soul collector, and I think complex sneak and complex sneakers, like they were social media for sneakers. Like you went to those sites, you check those sites every day. Uh, we were all basically stealing from each other. So it was basically a regurgitation of, of the same content across five websites. Soul Collector probably had the biggest advantage just because Nick DePaula was there and he had those relationships with like Nike. He was basically right at Nike's campus. And so he had those relationships. So they were, they were probably the most original of all of us at the time. Um, but yeah, it was just websites. People were actually going to the websites to find the information and we would do a post with the video, um, to let people know about it. And people were starting to like really subscribe on people were subscribing and stuff on YouTube, but it wasn't as big as it was now. Um, but people were, people were into it. Um, uh, people were responding in the comments and talking about it. And um, it was different than anything else that was kind of in the sneaker world at that time. I, again, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but now in retrospect, and I look at it and I see how people responded to it, it was because it was so different from everything else that was already out there. And that's what garnered the interest. And I think that is really what allowed me to become what I have become today is because people saw that and saw that it was different and that allow me to get a name for myself outside of things that other people were doing. Like everybody was writing. Um, there was like John Kim, Matt Halfhill, Ian Stonebrook, George Keel, Nick DePaula, uh, Nick Ingvall. Um, <laughs> like all these guys were, were writing and we were all writers and there was nothing really to differentiate us too much from each other outside of the websites that we worked at. But I was the only one that was doing video and writing at the time. Yeah, so I was like 2010. I was actually at Soul Collector at that time, and um, we had just kind of transitioned. Not, not um, you know, we had the forums, so we had a huge advantage in that we had a had a conversation going with people at all times, anyway. Yeah. But we really like started to take the web seriously at that time. You know, they had started, they had, they had you know, transformed the website to have a blog, but it wasn't first priority until about that time. And, and, you know, you mentioned complex, like, honestly, like, 
I ended up going to complex in 2012. And when I got there, like that was the very first of like complex sneakers. Like it was just complex as a whole. And then they had their Mm -hmm. channels, right? It was like complex sneakers, complex style, complex music, uh, complex pop, I think was what they called everything else. Um, which was basically what, you know, the magazine itself did back then. So, so you were even like, uh, you know, a year or two ahead of them in that sense. Right. Because I think complex was still, you know, obviously the magazine was really successful. So it was cool to see the shift happen at soul collector, you know, firsthand for me, but also for, to be able to know, to get to know you and meet you around that time where I was like, wait, like this YouTube thing is, you know, a whole different world that we're not really, that everybody's not paying attention to. And I think like complex, you know, we, when I was there in 2012, we, we started quick strike, right. With, with Russ and and Clark and, um, you know, that was kind of the first, the first, you know, step into the sneakers video world for complex. And, you know, the one thing that they, I think all of them would agree they did wrong at that time was they kept it on their own platform. Had they embraced YouTube and, and ran with it, it would be a whole different world now, but one of the things yeah. that like I want to kind of go go back to um, because I think it's really important that the people that are out there listening and and looking at at people that are creating going like man I wish I could do that tell us about like what that looked like you know working with Kicks on Fire right I know like you know you weren't paid very well this wasn't even your thing it was really about your initiative to to do video and. How yeah. long do you think you did those videos at, you know, whatever that minimal rate was? And what did that look like just from your, I, I guess, as a, as a, as a worker in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So when I started working for kicks on fire, I was getting $5 a post and we were allowed to do five posts a day. Um, so you did five posts a day. And then for video, I was creating the video and I think, um, I'm going to say it was $25 per video that I created. Um, and it was taking me like, I would say two, three hours to create a video, maybe four hours to create, to create each video. I was only doing one a week at the time. Um, I can go back and look, I can to confirm that, but I think I was getting $25 for the video back then per video. And I was doing, yeah. And it was once a week. I mean, I think that's like one of the craziest things about your story to me is like how, I mean, we even talked about it back then, or I was probably not as sold on the idea of YouTube because I was like, man, you're doing so much work to create these videos. How, I mean, obviously it worked out well for you in the end, but like how through those times where, you know, you're just doing it for such a minimal amount and probably getting a lot of pushback on it, whether from kicks on fire or, you know, like me as your friend, even how do you like just push through that, you know, like, do you have any tips for people like that? So I, I honestly, you know, I was so excited about creating video just because I thought it was such a cool thing that I almost didn't necessarily mind at first. Well, no, that's, that's not there. I, I didn't mind. I, I was like, I definitely knew I should be getting paid more. I didn't know how much I didn't know the value of what I was doing back then, but I knew it was worth more than the $25 I was getting paid for the videos. Um, 
And so, so for me, it was also an opportunity because like I knew I wasn't as good as I could be. So I was creating and learning at the same time. I was experimenting a lot back then. Um, I didn't. I wasn't lighting correctly. I wasn't getting audio correct. There was there was a lot of things that I was doing wrong back then, um, and I was just in a in a process of like learning of how can I make this better? How can I make this better? So part of it for me was um, that I also wasn't. I guess I wasn't as attached to the work, if that makes sense. Um, I know a lot of times when we create something, we think this is the greatest thing ever. I should be paid a million dollars for this. And I really hope that we all can be paid a million dollars for our work. But I wasn't attached to it because I was, I think I was, I, 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 I felt very much like um, I was always proving myself into this, in the sneaker world. Um, and so I don't, I, I, for somebody else that's going through that. And like, if you're going through a rough patch or whatever, like take the opportunity to learn and just get better. And, um, at some point it'll be undeniable. And at some point you'll, you'll break out or at some point something will happen that will spur the change, but you won't make it there or have the skill set when you get there, if you don't continue creating and continue trying to make, make yourself better and create better work. See, that's uh, that kind of just goes into what I have to ask, because I mean, just I think that's one of the reasons I, I, I really, really enjoy like working with Nick and Robbie, because this is kind of, you, you know, our thing is not as many any constraints as like you said, like the kicks on fire deal and just other places out there and that we're able to really like everything we do. Each one of us bring something like a little different to the platform to the podcast to the website whatever it may be and it's kind of like you know we, we look at it as like our little creative child and we, mm-hmm. we really do like love it and i you know been watching you forever jock when, when it comes to like the the youtube videos like you uh you know chris uh foamer i've been watching you guys for as long as i can remember and i you know i was like you know what i'm gonna try to you know, kind of jump and then throw my hat into this this ring and see how it works. And it is it is no joke. It is actually really tough, like the learning curve of like creating something on, I mean, for lack of better words, film, but you know, a visual uh, content for someone to to consume is really tough. And hearing someone saying you're, they're paying you twenty five bucks a video is insane. And I think I would much rather go like like you're doing now. I would assume I guess you're doing it now as independently, and you've come this far by taking control of your own creations as opposed to searching for validation from a company. And this is super, super commendable. And I, good Lord, I have a long way to go, but definitely an inspiring thing, man. Well, I mean, I'll be, I'll be, I was looking for validation. Let don't, don't, let's not confuse it as, and make it seem like I knew what I was doing. I did not. I wanted to be, accepted into the sneaker world just as much, um, Mm. as anything. Like I wanted all these guys to respect me and respect what I was doing. Um, I was the new guy. They all, everybody knew each other in the sneaker Mm -hmm. world. They called it, we called each other like the sneaker mafia (laughs) and like we all, the sneaker media mafia. I'm sorry. We all, we all basically knew each other. And I was, I was literally the new guy and I was, I wanted to be accepted. And that's, part, you know, that's another reason, like, you know, my, I, I didn't have an ego. And so wanting to be a part of that group, even I knew that 
if I'm not paying, if I'm getting paid $25, I'm still on kicks on fire, yeah. like kicks on fire and all those guys, like they had that prestige of I'm a writer for kicks on fire. Like I, I wholeheartedly know that I would not be where I am today in the sneaker world had it not been for the access that I received because I was at kicks on fire, uh, because I became the head writer there that allowed Jordan brand, Adidas, Nike, Reebok, and all those guys, um, that gave me access to them. Um, and once I got access to them, I was able to create content to show them that I was worthy of the access yeah. that I had. Not, it wasn't just, oh, that it's going on kicks on fire. I was going doing as much as I can to make sure that the, um, that when they saw something, that they, if they sent me something, that I was creating something out of the ordinary that nobody else was doing or trying my best to create something that nobody else was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of that was I wanted to be accepted, you know, that 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 hunger of of wanting to be a part of the group and doing whatever you can. And like the videos and getting twenty five dollars an hour, that was that was like my, my uh, that was my uh, my hazing. I was like, yeah, I got twenty five dollars. I got to take it if I want to make it here. If I want to make this I want to make this or turn this into something or if I want to get their respect, getting twenty five dollars an hour, I won't tell anybody. But. I'll still get, I'll take that $25 if it means I'm going to still have access to kicks on fire and it's going to get me in, into a place where I can create. So going off of that, um, how do you leverage that access to, to make your own channel? Like what do you do with that? Once you have it, a lot of people get to the plate and then stare at the picture and don't swing. Like where did you take that access and start pivoting into your own, like the Cousteau channel. So my, my pivot into the Cousteau channel was, was forced. Um, if, if it, if it had been up to me, I would still be working for a publisher at this, probably at this, at this moment. Um, but I didn't have a choice. So in February of 2013, um, I was fired. Um, I, I, not from kicks on fire. I moved, I moved to another publisher and, um, and I got fired because, uh, just headbutting and some different views on, on the access and, and what I was a, what I was bringing to the table versus what they were bringing to the table. So again, that's headbutting there. And I ended up getting fired. I didn't have anything to do cause I had done the sneakers for, that was what 2013. So for the last three, four years I was doing sneakers. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to put a video on my own channel and I'll, I'll create and then like, then it turned from, okay, I have these big publishers behind me. Then it turned to like, great. I have this access. Let me show them that I can do this on my own, that I don't need that publisher. And so I still focused on video. This is again, 2013. So now I'm just like, I'm just going to focus on video. So what they do in the written word, I'm going to do it on YouTube. So I'm just going to take, instead of writing articles about stuff, I'm going to make videos about stuff. And that's what my, my channel was originally about. Basically, I wanted to create a YouTube version of a sneaker blog. That's so wild because now it's like, well, duh. But in retrospect, it was not a duh moment. That's a, that's a leap. And I, and I love the fact that you bet on yourself because you want to be, I want to be accepted in the group. Like when you started following me, I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. But like to not just be be in the group but then to want to push yourself further i think that says a lot about 
you as a worker yeah. and you as a creator. And it's, it's great. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a humbling experience. As that kind of transition happened, what was your mindset as like, obviously, like if you're, if you're not doing anything, you're like, I'm just going to try to do, you know, a video on my channel. But at that point, were you still thinking, you know, I'm going to like, I guess at what point did you think like, I'm all in on my own channel moving forward? Because I'm I'm sure there was some back and forth in your mind as that whole whole thing played out, right? Because you're going from here, I have, you know, I'm assuming a, a, a regular paycheck coming in doing this stuff to now trying to do it all on YouTube. So what, like, take us through the, like your thoughts at that time, I guess. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that the moment I put up a video on my own channel that like, literally I got, think I got fired over the weekend and I had a video up on like Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, and at that moment, when I decided to put that on my own channel, that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm, that was my moment of like, I'm betting on myself. Um, cause I was like, I'm going to create, again, I wanted to create a YouTube version of the sneaker blogs. Um, and so that was it. And I, I did that. I, I was on unemployment. I was shooting weddings in the, in the, in the off time. I was shooting pictures for the city. I was doing pictures of part at parties for people. Um, I was doing a million jobs, um, until, uh, and I was doing a million jobs and collecting unemployment until I got to the point where YouTube and like that started to sustain me, which was a couple of years later. Um, so it was, it was a bet on my, on myself in a sense, but at the same time, I was still doing a a thousand different jobs, not knowing that if betting on myself would work. And I, I honestly, I was very, very, uh, I was very lucky. Obviously I put in the work, but I, I honestly feel that there was a ton of luck involved in what I was doing. Um, because I was fired, um, the sneaker community kind of rallied around me because they, they felt that I was wrongly fired. And so that initially helped me because it was a bit of a push from the community. They were supporting my videos and posting my videos, um, on, on the different sneaker, sneaker, sneaker blogs. Um, even though I wasn't a part of that. Now, obviously, you know that that doesn't happen now. Um, but back then, um, they were they were supporting me because of the situation and because they felt that I was wrongly fired. Um, and so that kind of helped the community kind of rallied around me and the brands rallied around me as well. And they were still inviting me to like these huge events. So um, I was, I was still there alongside complex and nice kicks and soul collector and sneaker news and all those guys. And it was me with like 200 subscribers on YouTube and a website that I built by myself. Your network is your net worth. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, 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 I owe them. I owe them. Shout out Ian Williams. I always steal that quote from him, but he definitely says that all the time. And I now say it all the time too. So <laughs> shout out now, whenever you, whenever you started the YouTube channel, when you were going through all these kind of, you know, you got the channel, you're putting content on um, consistently, but you're still working these other things just to, to make it all work, how did um, how did you find yourself evaluating yourself at that point when you go through like okay great when you go through the analytics and look at the video you see what's working see what's not how did you find yourself being 
I guess, a, a tough critic on yourself while also still trying to kind of sift out the actual, you, you, the thoughtful comments, you know, both, you know, good and bad through, through YouTube. Yeah. Um, back then I, uh, I honestly, I wasn't that strategic in that, in that arena. Like I wasn't looking at analytics and stuff like that. The, the analytics I was looking at were views basically seeing what kind of views I was getting. Um, but I was also like watching a ton of YouTube and consuming a ton of YouTube and looking outside. Uh, one thing that, that I've, that I've, prided myself on is I always wanted to look outside of the sneaker world and sneaker content and bring those ideas into the sneaker world. Um, I think that's, that has allowed me to establish some really great relationships with people that are in like the tech space and the tech YouTubers um, is because I was consuming their content so much, watching how they shot, watching how they did B-roll, watching how they presented content, watching how long their videos were, watching how they were lighting product. I was looking at everything that they were doing. And I was like, if like, and how do I, I was thinking, how do I bring that into the sneaker world? And that helped me develop the style that you guys know me for was from me taking from all of these like tech YouTubers and vloggers and everything that was not sneakers. I was going to all of these different places to find inspiration and bringing that into the sneaker world. And slowly but surely, it helped me define the style that I have now. It helped me fine tune that muscle of what a shot should look like, how I should be framing, how I should be lighting shoes, how I should be presenting a product, how I should be presenting a shoe, how I should wear it, how I should, what, what the white balance is, what the, what the aperture should be, what lens and how the different lenses change, how a shoe looks like all of these things. I was just consuming from like cell phones, computers, cameras, all of that stuff, just consuming as much of it and not really looking at the analytics as much as opposed to like views like oh you don't get a lot of views damn that sucks but then i was still like consuming this content to see how do i make that better how do i make this better how do i present something that no one else in this sneaker world is doing when you kind of i guess realized that's what you wanted to do what did that look like for you transitioning into this full time and like when did you really feel confident that you could make this a full time thing on youtube and how how did that align with like let's say your your kind of refining who you are on YouTube? If that makes sense. Um, I mean, if we're gonna be honest, I'm still scared that I'm not gonna make it on YouTube. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous and it sounds crazy, but like, I I still to this day am fearful that this all be taken away tomorrow. So, as as successful or whatever it is that that people see. I am just as scared as I was is that that day that I started looking to, you know, put a video on my own channel and create this, you know, sneaker blog on in video. So um, but as far as when did I feel like I could make when I, I felt like I could make it when I was making I started making enough money where I didn't have to do side jobs or I didn't have to do weddings and I didn't have to take pictures for the city. So then I felt like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm making enough money where I, this can be my job and I will be okay. I can pay my bills. Um, I guess at that, that moment, I don't remember when exactly what year or whatever, I mean, what, what month and year that was, but at that moment, I remember being like, oh, okay, this month, I don't need to look for other jobs. Like I'll be okay. And like, that was um, the moment where I felt like, okay, cool. 
all right, I've done it. I'm able to sustain myself and create video content. Um, And it's grown from there, obviously. Um, But that was, I would say, probably that was the moment where I felt most confident in this world. I was like, okay, I can survive doing this um, and I'll be all right. With that in mind, do you think... Or I guess like maybe could you talk about this? I think I think there's a huge misconception about like the way YouTubers get paid and we don't got to get into specifics, obviously. But could you talk about like what that looks like from, you know, like I guess like your recommendations for people in terms of working with brands. But like I know there's a lot of challenges working with brands, right? Like you and I have talked about this for the 10 years or plus that we've known each other. And it's not just like, Hey, I'm friends with somebody at Nike. So I get all this opportunity. Could you talk about how your creative process works, but also how you kind of try to bring in other people, whether it's, you know, uh, partners or, or, you know, on content or brand partners to keep that, you know, moving forward for you. Yeah. So th- there's a couple of different ways that YouTubers get paid. They op- they get paid through AdSense, um, basically, which is like based on views. Um, that's why you see a lot of YouTube content that's 10 minutes long because you can put more ads in there. So um, if you really support a creator, watch their ads because um, that's what really supports them and, and watch their videos. Um, that's That's one way that they get paid. They also get paid through direct brand deals, which is when a company contacts you or you reach out to a company and um, you work out a deal where either like you show off their product or you, you wear their product or whatever it is. Um, and then you work out a deal that way. For, for instance, um, I recently did, a, I had a brand deal with Twix. Um, shoe, shoe surgeon made uh, the, the cookies and cream Twix Jordan 1s and the Twix reached out to me and asked me to do an unboxing and to show the shoe and to give away the shoe. So that was part of one deal. So I did an unboxing on my channel. I also um, posted about it on Instagram and I posted about it on Twitter and I gave away a shoe, a pair of shoes as well. So that was part of that brand deal. Um, and and things can go even further than that. There's um, There's been like my buddy Isaac, who is uh, very outdoorsy, he'll contact like an, an outdoor motorcycle company and be like, "Hey, I'm going, I'm going to Chile uh, next month. Um, I want to bring one of your bikes, and I'll do a video about it while I'm while I'm in Chile riding your bike through the through the hills." And they'll be like, "All right, cool, yeah, we love we love your work." He'll he'll send him some of the work that he's done, and he'll take awesome photographs. He'll do an Instagram story about it, and that's the way he gets paid. Or uh, my buddy Jesse Driftwood, he's um, an incredible creator. He creates these Instagram stories, and so like for him, a lot of his his brand deals come via Instagram. So he'll do like they'll send him a new lens or something like that. And like the camera company, be like, Hey, we want you to talk about our lens in your Instagram story. And he'll find a creative way to tell the story about that lens. And that's, that'll be his Instagram story. And that's his brand deal. And he may post about it, or he may do something on Instagram about it or something on YouTube about it. So it, it they come in a variety of different, different ways. And it, it kind of matches up with you and, and what you do for me. It's a lot of it is focused on sneakers and unboxing. So brands will contact me because they want me to unbox their shoe on my channel and give my opinion of it and give my, you know, style it in some way and take photographs with it. Um, that's a lot of how a lot of the brand deals come 
for me or hosting. Um, hosting has been a big thing for me. So brands will ask me to host events for them. And that's how um, I get brand deals as well. That's awesome, man. So I you, you basically led me right into this. But the, before I get into my next question, I wanted to ask if you remember, it doesn't have to be the very first time you did a brand deal, but like maybe the first time you were like, wow, they're going to pay me to do this? Uh, goodness. What was the first time something, oh, something like that happened? Um, geez, that's a great question. Um, I don't remember the first one. Um, but I remember when Blake launched his very first shoe, um, they did a, an event at the Santa Monica promenade here in LA. And, um, I pitched the idea to the Jordan rep here in LA, um, that we should do a, uh, a live stream Q and a with all of like the, the, the sneaker guys from the different websites. I would be in the room with Blake here at Santa Monica and we would do something to go out to the world, but we'd have like, we'd connect with all of the, like the sneaker writers and bloggers, um, to ask a question. Um, so that was like the first big, that was the first idea that I pitched that a brand was like, yeah, we love that. Let's do it. And we'll pay you for it. Well, that's a good one because that's actually one I got to be a part of. So I remember that, uh, very clearly. Um, <laughs> but, um, so what I wanted to kind of get into a little bit more is you've talked about basically how there's all these different moving parts to YouTube and to what you do. And obviously, you know, from the outside, I think most people look at, at YouTube or they, they watch people create whatever that is, whether that's reading or, you know, watching videos or listening to this podcast, and they don't really see how much work goes into these things. But you basically explained, you know, the, the past few years, how you've obviously been creating your own content on YouTube just because you want to keep creating You've explained how you're pitching ideas to people constantly and also, you know, brands like I assume like the Twix thing coming to you because of what you already have been able to do and, you know, build your own kind of brand. So what does that right. look like for you now in terms of like the time that you spend maybe on each of those three things or if you, I guess like that would be the first part of my question. Then I would follow up and say like, for people that are kind of in that world of like we they've they've started stepping towards it like how would you guide them into like that next that next big step of like okay pitching ideas to brands or you know networking whatever that looks like um i would say i would say 75% of my time is focused on creating. Creating is my bread and butter. Creating is my calling card. Um, brands mess with me because they see what I create. Um, so that's why uh, like the majority of my time is always going to be focused on me creating something for people to see, for the audience to engage with. Like that is the number one priority out of everything. If I don't do anything else, I need to be making content for people to engage with or for people to see, to learn from, um, because that's what brands see. Like a lot of times people are like, I'm dope. Just like, I get it. And you, and you probably are the dopest person in the world, but a brand needs to see that you've done something 
in order for them to 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 work with you. Um, my like a lot of people, these brands that reach out to you, the people that reach out to you, like that's their job. And they're they're not going to reach out on they're not going to reach out to you if you're unproven. If I if they don't see that you've done something that there, there's no initiative for them to reach out to you when there's a thousand other people that are busting their butts creating something. So as dope as you are, you need to put in the work. And I tell people this all the time. They're like, how do I get brand deals? How do I get brand deals? Don't worry about how to get brand deals. What you need to worry about is creating and creating the content because the content is what is going to sell them. Just like you wouldn't go to a contractor to build you a house unless you've seen him build a house. Like, Show me the work that you've done. You're not just going to have some random guy like, oh, I can build you a house. Like, oh, well, what have you done? Well, I just, I know how to do it. Like, that's cool. But I need to see that you've done that. And so with with me, that's where my focus is. The rest is the rest of the stuff is just icing on the cake. So um, if I think of something for a brand or I think of a good idea with a brand or if I'm if a brand calls me and they're like, hey, this is what we're thinking, then I'll I'll work. I'll give that sort of angle. But I'm not actively thinking about brands every day. Like um, my focus is me and creating content that I think my audience is going, that I think is going to resonate with my audience. It's so important that you brought that up because a lot of people want to blink and be where they want to be. And I think it was said best in Wayne's world too, where he's sitting in the middle of the desert and he's like, if you make it, they will come. So it's like, if you focus on making good content, like that will be your lure and they will want to work with you. And it's that, that gets forgotten, especially when they see the finished product, they see the finished YouTube video, they see the the polish of your work and they don't realize that it took 500 videos before that for 501 to look so good and to get the partnership in episode 501, just arbitrary number, but yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and I, I would, I would, only, uh, that that was perfect, but I would say, like, don't focus on making good content. Don't let don't let the word good prevent you from creating something. Um, there's plenty of videos that I've created that I've put out on for the world to see that are terrible. Um, but you've got to get that out. Um, back when I was back when I was doing more songs and writing more songs, um, the one of my buddies told me he was like. Like write that terrible song, get it out because you never know what's going to come of it. Um, there may be a line in that song that you use for another song down the line, but you'll never have that if you don't write that terrible song. Um, so don't don't let the focus be, oh, I need to make something good. Just create and things will get better over time. And don't let what else what you see out in the public be your guide. Like you create something that you want to create and create that from your angle. And then you refine that as you grow and you'll get to the point where people recognize your work and go, that's awesome. Like you, you have to be able to know and you have to be able to, to, to swallow the fact that uh, you created something terrible and, and you need to be okay with that because the next thing won't be as terrible because you learned something in the process. That's actually a, a perfect segue to, to my question for you. Now, not to make light of anything going on in the world right now, 
with the with the coronavirus, but as purely occupational speaking and you know speaking as a creator with everything going on with a lot of access being not available because this companies aren't moving as much right now and then in just in our world mm-hmm. of sneaker releases things getting pushed back and people may be not getting that package they thought were gonna they were gonna get for for content they they were solely you know hey i'm depending on that you know that sneaker to come in so i can do a video on it can you see this as being a a type of for, again lack of better word a proving ground for creators to say hey what can you do again you're not just being dope because you have this new shoe in your hand but what can you do and what you bring to the table to engage people on you know what almost a personal level like what are you bringing to differentiate yourself from the person who's yeah. been reviewed as jordan one six times in 16 different channels yeah so i think that is going to be uh so uh as hard and again as hard as and difficult as the situation is for a lot of people i think what it's going to force people to do is to be more creative um Act, uh, a lot of a lot of us have access to sneakers, and a lot of people are, are putting up content because they have access to this sneaker. Um, but it's going to it's going this is going to force people, I think, to look outside of what they usually do and find ways to be more engaging with their audience. Um, there there is an allure to to having that cool sneaker, and that it that does get views and get people to watch and. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But in a time where you don't have access to that, what do you have in the catalog? Um, what skills have you built up over that time that you can use to engage people that don't rely on just having that sneaker? And I do think that this this is going to be a moment, not necessarily a proving ground, but uh, it's going to put people in position where they realize that they have to that this uh, this moment is going to force them outside of their comfort zone and some people will be comfortable creating new and different content and getting their audience into it and some people will not be they'll they'll be they'll be stuck in the world that they're in and they they'll end up having to pivot and doing something else with with that said I think like one of the things that, you know, Mike and I have talked about regularly is the fact that people don't, you know, like the access to, to sneakers is, is ever changing. Right. And I don't think people understand that for someone with your kind of following and, and subscriber levels and, you know, just overall, like kind of, you know, like influence in the sneaker world, they think that every shoe comes to your door every time. Um, do you think, and, and obviously like, you know, you and I have talked about that many times, but <laughs> right. like, what would you suggest as like, is there a way that somebody could take, you know, something that they have already and, you know, turn like, you know, create a video on a shoe that like is totally unexpected. Obviously that like, that's an easy kind of you know, go do this and, and, and practice. Right. But like, what would you suggest for those people to really like look at and focus on? Because, you know, the challenge with YouTube, Mm -hmm. I think for, you know, 
for, for like me personally, right? Like I started making a couple of videos and it's like, okay, well, I, I, I'm not going to see the results from this that I want right away. So I like shut it down and I'm like, you know, I'll do, I'll get to this later, right? Like I've got to make money. So I've got to do this, spend my time doing that. What would you suggest to those people to focus on when it's so hard because, you know, the, the, the numbers that you're looking at, you know, the views that you're looking at and like, that's what you're, it's almost like our report card for this kind of content that we're creating. It, it is, it is a report card and it isn't. Um, there are plenty of videos that I've done that I thought were amazing that got terrible views. And I can't let, I can't let that view count be the determination of the value of my work. Um, so for someone that is in that position, I would say the, the focus is like focus on telling great stories and whether one person sees that story and they think it was fantastic or a million people see that story and think it was fantastic. That, that doesn't make your, your, your work any more or less valuable. It's the same work. Like I, I create the same video that a thousand people watch that 15 million people watch, like the same work goes into it, the same effort. So uh, I, I would say for someone that like, don't let the numbers be your focus. Don't worry about the numbers. If, if that was the case, I would have stopped when I started making videos for kicks on fire because we weren't getting a ton of views at first. So I would say just make the content. And when you do hit something, when something hits, when you do create something that go every, when people start to go, Oh gosh, this dude creates dope stuff. Look at this video. You see that and they go, what else has he done? Now they can go back and see, oh, this dude's been creating this dope for all this time. And then they have a catalog to go to. Then you then you have a fan because now they have a story to attach to as opposed to being a one hit wonder. Like you, uh, you know, no disrespect to Chingy, but you don't want to be Chingy. And like you come out and then you're gone and there's nothing else. There's nothing else there. Um, so <laughs> you, you, you have to kind of, you have to continue, I think, continue to create and continue to create dope stuff that eventually when someone finds you, they go, Oh, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. Like, like a lot of people miss that part. They want to do that one thing. And that's the one thing that blows up. Like, like for me, like, uh, the video that blew up for me was the Jordan video going to Jordan's house. But, uh, a lot of people don't realize that Jordan video didn't blow up until like, seven to nine months after it was posted. So it, it only did originally, I have to look it up, but it, it didn't do a ton of views at first. And for some reason, nine months down the line, it, it just started picking up and it, people started watching it. If I would have just done that one, that one video that I went to Jordan's house and never did anything else for those next nine months, who knows what would happen? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that video blew up, but initially it didn't. Initially it performed just like any other video that I've made and no one, no one said anything different about it. It was like, Oh, cool video. So I, I would definitely say just keep creating. And it's you so never funny know you say that because I was looking for when your moment's going to be. I was trying to find a post or a picture of Michael Jordan sitting inside of a house for sneaker history. So I Googled Michael Jordan in house and your face was on the first three hits of the images portion of Google Photos of that video. 
<laughs> that was like two hours ago. That's funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so you mentioned funny. you mentioned that you know obviously the Jordan video taking time to blow up. Yeah, that that video blew up way late. Are there any other videos that were like surprisingly successful? And then also on top of that, you know, like you mentioned how many videos you were proud of that didn't do as well. Like what, what would be some of those that we could link people to? So you could be like, you know, Hey, this is one I thought would do better, but didn't. Um, and, and like I said, one of the other surprising successful ones besides Jordan. Gosh. Um, yeah. Like, I, I mean, if we're going to be, if we're going to keep it a hundred here, like, I never expect any of my videos to do, to get like a million views. Like that's just, I don't, there's nothing, I don't, I don't, nothing that I do has control over that video getting a million views. Like I don't, there's nothing that I'm doing. Uh, that's a lot of luck. Um, the YouTube algorithm and however that works and something just happening, happened to resonate with the culture. I'll do a video and I, I'll, I'll expect like, okay, it'll do okay. Um, and, and you know, and okay, okay for me is a video that gets like 50,000 views or if I like, feel like it's going to do really good, it'll get a hundred thousand views. Um, but anything over that, I don't, I can't say that I've done anything to make that happen. Um, so like a lot of it is, I would say, I would say out of my control. I just create to create. You know what I mean? And if if it does well, amazing. If it doesn't do well, amazing. I'm still creating. I'm still doing what I love. And I'm still creating creating a product that I know is good. And like I, I, I can't stress that enough to people out there listening that um I I feel like I feel like I've created a great product, whether it gets a thousand views or it gets 10 million views there, there, I'm still creating the same thing. And my, my hope obviously is that it does 10 million every single time. Um, but the reality is that that's not going to happen. So when it does great, that's amazing. But when it does a thousand great, that's amazing. For those moments where, where, you know, you maybe, you know, I don't know what you call it. Cause you know, I would just call it writer's block for me most of the time. But like, is there, is there anything that you would suggest for the people that hit that wall of like, man, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know. I don't know how to change this up that maybe either, you know, shifts things to send them in a positive direction or, you know, on the flip side of that is like, you know, just kind of helping you keep that balance between like life and work because with working, you know, on your own stuff all the time, I assume that that's yeah. always challenging. Yeah. Yeah. The life, the life work balance is, is a work in progress, uh, for me, uh, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. Um, trying to get more, more, more lifetime, um, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to work time. Um, and I, I think that that's going to be, you know, when it comes to, to writer's block or, or whatever, I don't know what it's called, what I do it, but, uh, or the creativity just isn't hitting me. Um, sometimes, you, you know, that's when life helps. That's when you get up and go do something else and just forget it. Go watch a TV show, go sit in the bed, go take a nap, go read a book, go 
down to Starbucks and just have a coffee and take a walk or like whatever it is that works for you. Like do, do that and find, you know, let, let the inspiration come to you. Um, but I, there's also times though, I'll be honest, when you, you have to, you have to force it. Like you have to get up and create, you have to sit down and you have to start writing word by word. Um, so if that means you, you start with one, the first lyric of a song is, um, sitting at my desk and I'm tired. Like you write down sitting at my desk and I'm tired. And then you've got, all right, well, that's more than I had a few minutes ago. All right. Uh, sitting at my desk and I'm tired. Need some ambient because I'm starting to feel wired. Okay. All right. All right. Got two lines. Okay. Oh, ambient wire. Okay. Sitting at my desk and I'm tired. Need some ambient because I'm starting to feel wired. Ah, where, where can I go from there? I said, ah, I'm tired. Feeling ambient and, and I'm wired. Um, Hey, my best friend, because I know he's a liar. Saw him grab that girl's butt when we were singing in the choir. Whatever. Whatever it is. Anyway, that's terrible. But <laughs> you get the point. Like you force yourself through it. And that gives you the energy that you need in order to kind of break free and um, kind of get those creative juices going. So I think, and I think a lot of people have things that they do in order to get their creative juices going, just like in ball, when um, you shoot, if you're off, they tell you to keep shooting when you're, when you're off, they don't say, Oh, all right, well just don't shoot. That's it. You're done. Keep shooting, keep shooting. It'll fall. And then when that one falls, it gives you, it's, it's funny because you could be off all night. And then in the fourth quarter, you hit one shot and your confidence immediately comes back. And that confidence mentally just gets you where you go. It gets your, your body movements and your muscle memory. So everything is back. seems like it's just right back in sync just off of that one brief moment. So I, I, I tell people like, you know, if you got to force it, force it. If you need to take a break, take a break. Everybody has their own thing. Man. Uh, yeah. I, I hundred percent agree. It's, it's so, it's so hit or miss and it's, and it's all over the place with like, you know, you know, when certain things come in. Um, I know just because I know you that exercise has always been a thing for you. Is there any, is there any, um, is there any, I guess, music or podcasts or anything that you do, let's say maybe while you're on a run that, you know, kind of comes back around in your creative expression? Say that again, make sure I understand what you mean. So, so for me, like when I go on a run, like I'm, I'm, uh, I typically am listening to podcasts at this point, like, and I listen to them at a crazy speed, you know, like, I feel like I'm plugged into the matrix. I'm, I'm like, you know, I can go, you know, for a couple hours, a couple hour run and I come back juiced because I'm listening to, you know, like I like Tim Ferriss or, uh, you know, like rich roll, like mm. guys like that, or Tom Billy, those are like some of the guys that I listen to regularly. But then like, I know for some people, music is that right. So for you, do you yeah. find like other people creative? Do you do that while you're running? Or is that something that you, you know, because obviously, like, I, you know, 
your world with YouTube is slightly different, right? Like if you're watching, you know, like, like you mentioned, Jesse Driftwood, that's a, a slightly different thing than going for a run and plugging in music or whatever. So I'm, I, mean, I guess I'm asking those, like, what are some of yeah. those like people that you look at for, for like inspiration in those kind of ways? Oh God, it's the, I, I look at everything. Uh, I mean, literally everything uh, for inspiration from how someone designs a shoe to a, a barista making a coffee to how an actor presents a line in a TV show to how, uh, you know, a player gets its, gets his, his or her focus to, you know, uh, a, a kid playing outside in the front yard. Like I'm looking, I look at everything and I draw inspiration from everything around me. Um, there, there, um, there isn't, I would say one source of inspiration for me. Um, it really, it really, and this sounds so super cliche, but it really is life. Um, if like, if you, if you lived with me, you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll see me watching a TV show and, and like during the TV show, repeating the line that I hear from, from an actor. So if an actor is like, um, you know, he's like, it wasn't me. I didn't kill her. And I'd be like, it wasn't me. I didn't kill her. And I'll say it over and over until I feel like I get, I'm, I reach the emotion that they had in that scene. And that's something that I kind of catalog for myself. Or if I see a kid playing in the sand with the shoes and seeing how, how he's looking at his shoes and like, oh, okay. Oh, that's a, looking at the angle that he has on his shoes or the exuberance that the kid has and using that as like, like as a reminder of like, don't lose the joy that you have when you look at sneakers. Like, like this kid is my reminder that like, I love sneakers. It's become a business now. And that, that has allowed me to come a bit, become a bit jaded um, because it's, it's, it's not just for the joy of it anymore, but remembering that joy of watching that kid play with his sneaker or play with a yo-yo for the first time, getting that joy or seeing, you know, when I see a barista and they're, they're doing the pour over, uh, I don't know if it's called a pour over, but the thing where they make the flowers, but the art that they're putting into it and the time that they're taking to make these designs and thinking like, like, okay. Now, now it makes sense to do that extra step when I want to get that B-roll, even if no one else notices it and it's not what the the drink is about, like that extra step to make, to give it a little more than what you would expect. Um, take it that far, Jacques. That's what you, that's what you need to do when you're doing your thing. So there, there isn't, I guess, one thing. It's like all these things around me that um, I try to draw inspiration from like when I'm running, I'm listening to podcasts or I'm listening to music. It kind of depends. Um, generally I like to listen to radio lab or, or podcasts that are stories. And that is because, um, I, I myself am looking past how do I make this product more, um, engaging to my audience. And that is like by telling a story. So how do I tell that story? So I'm listening to podcasts that are really good at telling stories and 
How are they breaking down the structure of this podcast? How are they letting the 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 the, the product tell the story versus when they interject and tell the story? So how am I how am I bringing that to what I'm doing? So um, that's a long way of saying again like life and things and everything around me informs me. And I pull from all of that to, to create what I create and to hopefully create better stories. Dude, I can probably sit here and ask you questions all day, but I, I got one more for you. Dude, this is like <laughs> awesome here. <laughs> I'm like, man, he has to go eventually, but I'm just going to keep asking the questions. But, <laughs> but uh, kind of going back to the, you, you know, it's something I actually heard a long time ago as well was, you know, when it comes to creating, don't worry about necessarily if it's perfect, but just keep putting out to, you know, see what happens for someone, you know, this is kind of a selfish question. Sorry, Nick and Robbie, but, uh, for someone who, uh, like who's just, just starting out, I've done maybe 10 videos so far. Um, whether it be equipment or taking a creative step, what would you say, you know, say 10 videos in, what would be your next step? And how, and I guess taking it to another levels to not get stagnant. Um, it, for me, it would be, um, and there's a couple of different ways to answer that. Um, I think so, something that somebody told me early on um, was that story is the most important. The story is more important than anything else that you do. Um, it's better. It's it's more important than the camera. It's more important than the sound. It's more important than the lighting. The story is what engages people. Um, so finding a way to tell your story, not necessarily the story of the shoe, but your story of that shoe. What is your story about that shoe, as opposed to what's Jacques' story of that shoe, to as opposed to what Nick's story of that shoe? Tell the shoe. Tell the shoe story in your own personal way um and allow that um to be your guide um if you can tell that story with the equipment that you have tell that story with the equipment that you have and as your story gets more advanced then you start thinking about the equipment but the equipment yeah. is is really your last your last worry um i always i always talk about hez kicks when people ask me about equipment because hez kicks was crushing it uh, with just his cell phone for the longest time, the longest time. He was just, he was vlogging just his cell phone in his room, looking at shoes, wasn't showing his face. That was it. And I was like, how is he doing this? I've got all these cameras. I've got this equipment. And <laughs> it didn't matter. The story, the story was what was important. Has Kicks was able to engage his audience with amazing stories through his cell phone. And that's what made him successful at what he was doing. And I had, I was like, I have these cameras, I have these equipment, but I'm not getting as many views as Has Kicks. I'm not as popular as Has Kicks. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? And I'm I'm just I'm not telling the stories that Has Kicks is telling. I'm not able to engage with my audience. And when you learn your audience and you learn to engage your audience, I think that's what's important. So that's why they always say create just create 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 and and iterate on top of that get better and better and better um because one that's going to allow your audience to get to know you um it's going to allow you to find your voice and that's and that is really what's most important like that story has to come from you in your voice i i always tell people people like what should i create create what you would want to watch 
Don't create what I do. Don't create what someone else does. Take take from what I do. If that helps you tell your story, absolutely take from what I do. But don't tell the same story that I'm telling. Tell the story from your angle for something that you would want to watch. I created this thing because this is something that I wanted to watch. I figured this is what I wanted to watch. I didn't. I liked what Sneaky Geeks was doing. I liked what Fran was doing. Uh, I liked what everybody else was doing. But this was my version of that. This, this is what I thought was perfect for me. And then that's how I grew into what I have become now by creating my own story. So that would be my, 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 uh, 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 that's what I would tell you or the the words of encouragement for you is to create your story, um, through your lens of what you would want to watch and let that be the catalyst to grow from. Awesome. All right. Good. Whew. Two more, two more questions, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna make them a little bit easier. Since, well, actually, they might be harder, but we'll say they're gonna be easier. Um, one is, if you were to give somebody a pair of shoes to uh, kind of introduce them to the sneaker world, what would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Jeez, I thought it was gonna be an easier question. Um, Huh. I have so many different answers to that. There's so many different ways to answer that question. You can roll with a couple of them. Um, gosh. <laughs> Good job, Nick. Um, yeah, thank, thanks. Um, I'm going to say Chuck Taylor. A Chuck Taylor low. Converse All-Star. Um, it's a shoe that... Um, I feel like you can dress it up, you can dress it down. They look great new. They look great messed up. I feel like that's a good way to tell your story is through a Chuck Taylor. There's no there's no hype to it. There's there's story to it, but there's no hype, there's no expectation. So it's going to force you to tell a story as opposed to relying on the product as the star of the video the story will be the star if you use a chuck taylor all right well I, I, that would be my choice too and i i was not expecting you to go that route but i i totally appreciate it and i 100 percent agree um well, last last question is <laughs> is for robbie and mike and you shock uh what kicks are on your feet today go ahead jock you got it first Oh, today uh, I've I've actually had on the uh, yeah today I've had the Epic React fly knit on all day. Um, I've been like running up and down the stairs and I wasn't going anywhere. Um, so yeah, I've had the Epic React fly knit on all day today. Um, today I had on my um, Jordan One New York to Paris um, because I decided to act like I'm not 30 years old and step on a skateboard again and. I mean, it's not, it's not a little parking lot in our apartment complex, but it's, it's been cool. It's me and my, me and my son out there. And um, I, I get to actually mess them up the way they're supposed to because I cheated a little bit when I bought them, put a little acetone in there, but now I can beat them like the way they're meant to be. Man, before I even say my shoe, here's a free video idea. Just record authentic you know, reactions to people seeing a Converse Chuck Taylor and get their organic story. <laughs> That'd be a good one. I haven't worn shoes in a day and a half, man. 
Um, I mentioned on there you go. You know, Jacques post earlier. I've been wearing old elite socks. <laughs> I wear old uh, version one. They're fading. They got a little hole in the toe. But uh, you know, I'm just sitting here typing on laptops all day, so nobody cares. So old elite socks from like. And hey man, that that, that whole that whole. <laughs> that whole little toe, that's just that's just the brakes that's all all right we're gonna bring up the brakes you have to submit some bars to damian lillard's four bar friday whenever he brings that back i need to see a, a jock slade submit ah yeah there you go i did i did one a long time ago i did one a long time ago um yeah, uh, I'll, I'll have to bring it back. I'll, have, I'll talk to uh, I know I know his manager, so I'll talk to him and see uh, when they're when they're going to bring Noise. it back. And I'll, I'll submit. I'll submit. Four, I'll put four bars in. So, there. so, so I, uh, I I'm I'm like kind of anti Robbie in a sense <laughs> when it comes to this whole when not not Robbie himself, but his approach because like I'll get up and just throw on a pair of shoes just to feel better about like just to forget that I am not going out of the house. So I threw on some Stan Smiths today, just regular old pair of Stan Smiths. Right. But um on 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 Robbie's note, I think it would be even more amazing if you and Dame just did a live stream and went back and Ooh. forth for a while. That's since that's in Colin Shack for a little ad lib. Ah, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be good. See, Nick, that would be good. I gotta defend myself because you didn't grow up with a family that's so anal retentive about shoes in the house. Like, if you come in the house and you go through the front door and you leave your shoes by the front door. My stepdad will go and pick them up and put them in the garage. Just so they're not in the house. So I grew up in some weird situations and circumstances. Like He's scarred. Yeah, I haven't worn shoes in a minute. Like, yeah. I respect yeah. it. I respect <laughs> it. So, uh, Jacques, any uh, anything you need to uh, need to tell people before uh, we let you go? Pulling the Sean Evans move. Uh, no. Uh, if anything, I would tell. Yeah, yeah, uh, guys. Uh, follow, uh, follow these guys. They're they're all amazing. Make sure you follow Sneaker History. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Um, it's really good. You know, it, it's 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 one of the few sneaker podcasts out there that um, that that I think add value to the community and that that aren't all about the hype or all about tearing other people down. So uh, this is this is one of the lights in the in the sneaker world. So make sure you guys subscribe and listen and follow these guys. And uh, yeah, they're re- they're really a great bunch of guys. And uh, I owe a lot of who I am and what I've become in the sneaker world to Nick Ingvall. So as always, uh, I appreciate you as a friend and thank you uh, for uh, the things that you have done for me. I'm always appreciative. Well, I appreciate that, man. And uh, you know, feeling is always mutual. And glad we got to spend uh, some time catching up and uh, talking tonight. And uh, obviously, make sure everybody's following Cousteau at. K-U-S-T-O-O on all platforms. And um, Robbie, Mike, you can find them at R-A-H-B-E-E-702 and Madwatcher789. And you can follow me personally at Nick Ingvall. And as always, we thank you for listening to the podcast. Before we get out of here, I just want to say this Friday, 
we're actually going to do a Netflix party and watch Space Jam together. So 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll post it up on the channel tomorrow, but join us on Friday and let's uh, let's talk about Space Jam while we watch it on Netflix together since we're all stuck in the house. But thanks for coming on, Jacques. We appreciate no you. No problem. And, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Appreciate it. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs>